0: So I don't know what it has been this week, but uh, I've been feeling kind of existential. So maybe that's going to come out in the sermon this morning. But um, I think I kind of have an, uh, a finger on it. I, we've been packing up our house to move uh, to the west side. We live on the Upper East Side. So it's just been maybe in the midst of this, just boxes and boxes everywhere and just the chaos of what feels like our life right now, that um, I have these thoughts this morning. So thank you for letting me share, not just with song, but in this sermon as well. And I want to talk about the biggest story this morning. But first, I want to start with a much, much smaller story. And it's uh, about when my kids were very young. I had an undiagnosed sleep anxiety disorder. I don't know if that's a real thing, but for a dad that is trying to get their babies to fall asleep and stay asleep. The struggle was real in those early days, and I want to tell you about it. To be clear, this anxiety wasn't so much over my own restlessness as it much as it was just trying to have a productive nap for the kids. And if you're parents out there, you know what I'm talking about. It really is the difference between life and happiness and just all-out chaos. Um, And Katie and I learned very early that the only way that Elsa and Lavender would have a nap without waking up was when we would drive them around in our car strapped in the back seat in their car seats, (sighs) something like that. I couldn't find one from when they were babies. um, And I think that's because I was so worried about the sleeping part that I didn't take pictures. But it's something like this. And all was really right in the world as long as the car was in motion and it didn't come to a complete stop. And so I was a dad on a mission, driving 20 miles under the speed limit just to lengthen a a trip home, illegally rolling through every stop sign, you know, just very slowly and casually coasting through all the red lights. You know, it was really like the gentlest, most passive form of road rage you've ever seen. But nothing was going to stop us, not even the law, from this mission and this focus we had. It was kind of ninja-like. But I kid you not, more than once, Katie and I had to jump into a moving car while the other one was driving just to keep the car going. And this is really hard to do when you have grocery bags in hand. So, you know, these were some, certainly some challenging days Uh, I thought about this week how I can't hear the soundtrack of Frozen, the original one, without having this PTSD come back from these early days of when the kids were babies. And I had to remind myself that lack of sleep wasn't the end of the world. They eventually grew up into healthy, thriving kids that they are today. Let's see, there's Elsa and Lavender not too long ago. And if you're thinking that I told you that story just so I can share pictures of my kids, then you would be correct. Um, I want to be clear about that. But I believe that when you are in the trenches as a parent of little children, that life can get intensely small and narrow. And anyone knowing uh, what it's like to parent small kids know what I'm talking about. It's in these experiences that we would say that time stands still. We can get so caught up in the particulars of what is right in front of us that it's hard to have any wider sense of perspective of what's going on in the world and around you. And maybe that resonates with you in many other, other areas of your life. Maybe that's kind of what you're going through right now. And so this question comes to mind for me this week. How do we keep wider perspective in life? That's really what I want to wrestle with. For most of us, life has lived in the small, in the ordinary, in the simple. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think that's where we find meaning, right? It's in the simple things, the daily encounters, those serendipitous moments with friends. Some would say that our lives are so ordinary that if we were to map out every step that we take throughout our lifetime, that the heat map would glow red hot in just a few short square miles. Think about that. We like to keep things simple and predictable. We invest ourselves in the mundane, yet I would also guess that you, like me, want to know that our smaller, seemingly insignificant stories are part of a larger narrative that is unfolding. There are seven billion people on this planet that have no idea we exist, and yet we long and yearn to know of our significance. And we know that there are four babies born every second worldwide. And yet when a child, a newborn baby is born, even calling her a miracle, we sense that this child exists for a reason, to play an important role in this unfolding story. And religion and faith has for many of us called out to this need. It gives us this alternative to insignificance. It is the antidote to meaninglessness. And for those of us, maybe many of you in this room that subscribe to a Christian narrative, we think in terms of God's big story, right? And the Gospel of John tells us this story poetically. I think it's my favorite chapter in the Bible. But the words sound a lot more like the creation narrative in Genesis than the genealogies that open the other Gospels. It's not just a list of names. It's saying something much deeper, something bigger. And I want to read this text again for us to hear it in that way. Some translations speak of the word that was there at the beginning, and in this translation you'll hear that it is the voice, which I find to be very active and dynamic. So let's listen to John chapter 1. Before time itself was measured, the voice was speaking. The voice was and is God. God. This celestial word remained ever-present with the Creator. His speech shaped the entire cosmos. Immersed in the practice of creating, all things that exist were birthed in Him. He breathed, His breath filled all things with a living, breathing light. A light that thrives in the the depths of darkness, blazes through murky bottoms. It cannot and will not be quenched. The true light who shines upon the heart of everyone was coming into the chaos of the cosmos. He entered our world, a world that he made, yet the world did not recognize him. Even though he came to his own people, they refused to listen and receive him. But for all who did receive and trust in him, he gave them the right to be reborn as children of God. He bestowed this birthright not by human power or initiative, but by God's will. The voice took on flesh and became human and chose to live alongside us. We have seen him enveloped in undeniable splendor, evidenced in the perfect balance of grace and truth. I find in these words, in this passage here, that the life of God isn't expressed as some side tangential story. It is the main act, you would say. Its scope is as big as the entire cosmos, really, encompassing all people that have ever lived, all 108 some odd billion people that have walked on this planet. And it calls to mind words like expansive and universal. It is the biggest story possible. This voice from the beginning was the creative speech that not only shaped the entire cosmos but intimately fills each living thing with its breath and light. And that's how the gospel writer talks about it here, as light coming into the world. And what we know about the properties of light, that it cannot be contained or boxed in. Even the darkness, this, the text says, it blazes right through. And it made me Think when I read that again just cosmically speaking about how stars from distant galaxies are still showing up right we still see them after millions of years first coming to light it's blazing right through what an image of this relentless nature of light we would say that it's unquenchable And one thing about the biggest story, this immersive light, is it resists becoming the property of any one tribe or even any one religion. And that's really the takeaway for me. There are those that will try to co-opt the story as if it's theirs to, to own. And just this week, Texas Governor Greg Abbott and state lawmakers are pushing to have the Ten Commandments posted in every school classroom in the state. And there's already this giant stone monument of it outside the Texas capitol. Maybe you already know this. And it made me think that in order to use God's grand story for your own purposes, that it has to be shrunk down first, stripping it of its universal qualities so that it fits conveniently in the hands of those holding power. And when it's that size, it's easy to grip it like the handle of a violent weapon. In the end, what you have is a version that is good news for only a small select group of people. It's no longer God's biggest story. And Texas lawmakers are doubling down, seeking to push into law another provision that would allow uncertified chaplains to replace professional counselors in K-12 schools. And these are just a couple of a large number of laws being voted in right now in Texas and elsewhere, that are blurring these lines of religious freedom between a colonized, westernized Christian religion and the right of all to experience their creator in boundless ways. And so this week I've been reminded of how there are those out there trying to shrink down this biggest story. We have also read recently in the news of this disturbing trend that a number of states have passed bans. Blocking medical resources to hospitals, which have been using these resources for trans care. And this is over, all over our news right now. And instead of letting people decide for themselves who they truly are and supporting them with our medical resources, these bans are another tool for controlling people's bodies. And conservative states want the power and the position to determine the stories of queer folks who are trying to write it for themselves in an increasingly hostile society. This story is under the threat of shrinking. I don't know if you know this, but it's Pentecost Sunday. And on this Sunday, I I think about the untamable nature of the Holy Spirit that goes where it wants and makes its home in any and all spaces She shows up as a passionate, uncontrollable fire. She shows up as a violent, rushing wind in the formation of the early church. She is the breath of God, which Jesus breathed into his disciples. She is known as Sophia, which means wisdom in the Greek. And these are characteristics underscoring how we cannot pin down and control the Spirit's work in the world. We can only choose to join it. We cannot tell the Spirit to stay within the confines of our agendas, for she goes where she wants to go. We cannot domesticate the Spirit, even within our own religion, for Sophia does not know those boundaries, and she goes where she wants to go. Sometimes a Spirit is depicted as a peaceful dove. You may have seen that. I think that's what we mostly see the image of the Spirit as. But you may know this, that... In the Celtic tradition, it is symbolized by a wild goose. Many use this symbol as a reminder of the spirit's tendency to disrupt and to surprise. Geese are noisy and they're unexpected. They resist being tamed and domesticated. And when the early church was getting its start in the book of Acts, the followers of the way, they weren't They weren't outfitted with religious degrees and stone tablets of beliefs. No, they they were filled with an unquenchable, untamable fire of the Spirit, this wild goose. It empowered them. It didn't entitle them. And it prepared them to be effective conduits of the voice and storytellers of the biggest story of all. The Apostle Paul was one of these early storytellers, in Acts chapter 17, uh, Paul is offering this existential perspective to the philosophers in Athens. And when I reread this this part of the story again, I was reminded that Paul had a chance here to shrink down the story in a power play, but he refuses. Listen to what I mean as I read from verse 22. Athenians, as I have walked your streets, I have observed your strong and diverse religious ethos. You truly are religious people. I have stopped again and again to examine carefully the religious statues and inscriptions that fill your city. And on one such altar, I read this inscription to an unknown God. And I'm not here to tell you about a strange foreign deity, but about this one whom you already worship, though without full knowledge." This is the God who made the universe and all it contains, the God who is the king of all heaven and all earth. And it would be illogical to assume that a God of this magnitude could possibly be contained in any man-made structure, no matter how majestic. This God made us all in our diversity from one original person, allowing each culture to have its own time to develop, giving each its own place to live and thrive in its distinct ways. His purpose in all this was that people of every culture and religion would search for this ultimate God and yearn for him in, dark, in the darkness, hoping to find him. Yet in truth, God is not far from any of us. For you know the saying, we live in God, we move in God, and we exist in God. That's Paul speaking back their own poetry. Paul was aware that their hearts were in the right place, but he acknowledged this religious desire that was kind of misplaced. They were really getting it backward because most spiritual ideologies are roadmaps, really, trying to get to God as if God was somewhere far off, detached, and occupying a different space altogether. And so these idols are constructed to stand as representations of a foreign unknown deity that they cannot get to. And Paul knew this. But Paul was so transformed by the reality that Jesus had brought to light that he offers the Athenians his own flip on the narrative, and it's offered to us as well. He says we live and we move and we have our whole being in God And being in God involves our entire self. Is there anything that is outside of living and moving and being? No. I think that covers every single quantum particle and cell and every nanosecond of our existence. Every aspect of who we are is bound up in our identity in God. Or in the spirit of John 1, we might say that the entire cosmos is the divine womb out of which we are all birthed as the children of God. It is all in God. And so you see how this, this flip, this twist can put our relationship with one another and creation in a completely different light. And I thought about this text this week for my own sake and trying to remember to keep perspective of a much bigger story. Most days, life is bound up in the particulars, getting my kids to and from school, and you know, I could hardly get them to sleep when they're babies. Now I can hardly get them awake in the morning. You know what I'm saying? And I stay busy checking in on friends and family and going to the grocery store and attending to the needs of this community and the community at large. And I also lean into the particulars of my spiritual practice what we do here at the river it speaks deeply to my faith everything we do from the music to the approach of life and faith all of this is very comfortable to me it's a format and it's a style and a language that i'm used to and even christianity has been my particular spiritual home it offers me metaphors and language that i grew up hearing and it's the mode that most effectively moves my heart but they are just particulars On some days, the Spirit of God reminds me in its wild nature of how this is just yet part of a much bigger, a more expansive story. And when I realize that, it forms within me new pathways of being open to learning and experiencing even outside of my own particular traditions. That's really my hope for you as well. How about you? Struggling with keeping perspective these days? Losing the forest for the trees, as the saying goes? Getting lost in the day-to-day that it's hard to remember that something much bigger is happening? I find it to be a great and beautiful paradox. God's biggest story, as expansive as the cosmos itself, yet as intimate as your next breath. And I wondered if Jesus breathed on his disciples the Spirit of God as a tool for remembering that just waking up to this reality is as close as your next breath. And so we just breathe to remember this. And if you can do that, then let every inhale and exhale remind you that you are in God already, just as you are. And I think that that will help us keep things in perspective as we move forward. In closing, I'd like us to reflect on these things as we watch this visual prayer. So let's be in a spirit of prayer as we watch.